Welcome to That's So Wizard. Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Fantasia. Thank you so much for coming back and spending a little bit of your day with me. This is, I think, episode four of That's So Wizard. I think it's four. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've already lost track and we're still in single digits. I'm, I'm sorry. Math has never been my strong suit, but that's okay. Who cares what episode this is? What we care about is what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the entertainment world, baby. We're here to talk about all the fun movie news and other news and TV news and crazy news and video game news and all of news, because I'm sure I'm fairly positive there has been some kind of breakthrough in the field of olives. So we we have to stay on top of that too. We have to keep our fingers on that pulse, otherwise we're going to miss out. But today, the first thing I want to talk to you about actually involves numbers in a way. So I'm in trouble because, as I've just stated, math is not really uh, my strongest suit. But I want to talk to you about the Spider-Man deal between Sony and Marvel. This seems to be all anybody's talking about lately, and it made headlines a couple weeks ago. And I've, you know, been waiting patiently for updates, for news and whatnot. And I keep hearing very strange conflicting reports, okay? I keep hearing things about how people say, that's it, it's over, Spider-Man's not coming back to the MCU. But then I also, every once in a while, hear these reports where they say, Sony and Marvel are trying to negotiate. There's there's some kind of deal trying to be made, so it's not 100% yet. And as it stands right now, today's date, I'm recording this, uh, on the 5th of September. And as it stands right now, there is still no 100% guarantee, at least that I've heard, of whether Spider-Man is leaving or staying in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, I'm bummed if he's gone. I think everybody will be bummed if he's gone. That doesn't mean we'll never get a good Spider-Man movie again. That's not what it means. And we'll always have Homecoming. We'll always have Far From Home. We're just going to have to accept that whatever the third movie is has nothing to do with the MCU and that Spider-Man was just kind of visiting and now there won't be any mentions of Mysterio or Vulture or Jameson or any of that. It's just going to be a clean slate. That might be a bummer in theory. It sounds like a bummer. There's still the potential to make good movies there though. There is. There's still the potential to make good movies They just won't be MCU movies. Now, that is fine. However, I'm still very bummed by this, and I'll tell you why. I know, you know, that's the general consensus right now is, yes, it sucks, but Sony can still make great movies without being tied to the MCU. The reason I'm bummed out, personally, this is just me talking here, is that we have had six now, six Spider-Man motion pictures that are not tied to the MCU. We had the three Sam Raimis, we had the two amazing Spider-Man movies, and we had Into the Spider-Verse last year. So my line of thinking here is we have already had our fair share of Spider-Man movies that stood on their own. We've had that. And I know people like to say that, you know, people like to bash on on the connectivity of Marvel as if it was a bad thing. People love to badmouth it and be like, oh, Marvel's... Uh, connecting everything and, and it's unnecessary. It's like, well, then don't watch Marvel if you don't like connectivity because that's the point. It's That was the point of the MCU. We have had six Spider-Man movies of varying quality. 
I think we have had our share of standalone Spider-Man movies by now. And I was really loving the idea of seeing Spider-Man in the MCU because that was Spider-Man to me growing up. You know, I grew up with that cartoon more than anything else, that Fox Kids cartoon. And what did Spider-Man do? He teamed up with his homies in Marvel. He teamed up with Blade. He teamed up with the Punisher. He teamed up with the X-Men, with the Fantastic Four, with Captain America. He teamed up with folks. That was Spider-Man's whole shtick. Yes, he was a loner. He was a loner at heart. And at the end of the day, he was always on his own. But he teamed up with the rest of the Marvel U. That was the fun of it. Hell, he was roommates with the Human Torch in college all throughout, what, the 70s and 80s? That was a thing. Marvel not wanting to play ball and not wanting to budge on the number that they have fixed in their head, whatever it is, 50% or whatever it was they wanted, is really petty at this point. I mean, you have, like, I hate to beat this dead horse, but you are Disney, Okay, you have Marvel, you have Pixar, you have Star Wars, you have literally all the money in the world. What does this extra, I don't know, 40% of Spider-Man gross, what does that do for you? What can that give you that you can't already get? And the fact that they're not budging, you know, they're the bigger company, they're, they dwarf Sony by a wide margin. You'd think that would mean they would be the bigger person and kind of step aside and be like, look... Spider-Man is still yours. You still own him. So let's just keep this going how we've been going. Because guess what? Homecoming and Far From Home have been overwhelmingly positive movies. You barely meet anybody who has anything bad to say about Homecoming or Far From Home. They were beloved by critics. They were beloved by the fans. They had Marvel tie-ins, but they were firmly rooted in Spider-Man's world and with his characters. We got Aunt May, we got Flash, we got Mary Jane, we got Liz, we got the Vulture, we got the Scorpion, we got Mysterio, and now we got J. Jonah Jameson. Like, it was very much a Spider-Man universe that existed inside the MCU. There was nothing wrong with those movies. They were absolutely, overwhelmingly positive movies for us, the fans, for Sony, and for Marvel. So when the juggernaut in that equation comes along, when Marvel and Disney come along, swaggering over and saying, like, we want more. We want to shake up the status quo and give us more money. You're you're trying to fix something that doesn't need fixing. That's the way I see it. Again, I don't know the, the pure, cold, hard numbers. I don't know the economics of this deal. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you don't, you know... I'm sure there's a podcast out there somewhere where somebody's like an economist and they're like, here are the exact numbers of the Spider-Man Sony deal. And here are decimal points and things like that. I, I can't back that up, folks. I can't back up the math. I don't know who gets what and what the parties want and what kind of change to the contracts they want because I've heard conflicting reports. If I if I had a solid number, I would say it here because I want to be thorough. But I've heard so many conflicting reports, I don't know anymore. I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know what the final verdict is. I don't know if there is a final verdict because it really seems like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around this thing and, and nobody can come out with a straight answer. Everybody has just sort of resigned to the fact that Spider-Man is gone before hearing that it's 100% certain. So I can't give you those cold hard numbers. All I can say is that there is nothing wrong with what we have right now. There is absolutely nothing wrong with these two Spider-Man movies that we have gotten in the MCU and how they have 
played to the crowds and how we have accepted them into the fold, into the greater overarching story of the Infinity Saga, and how we could move on with them into the future in Phase 4 and beyond. There is also nothing wrong, in my opinion, with having this other series, like Into the Spider-Verse, set in its own pocket where it's just Sony doing their own thing, not tied into the MCU, and it was an amazing movie as well, there was nothing wrong with that. That movie won a bloody Oscar. That's how much it was beloved by everybody. So right now, Spider-Man can do no wrong. Spider-Man is three for three. It has three home runs under its belt, and everybody is suddenly trying to take a screwdriver to it and fix what isn't broken, and I don't understand why you would want to do that other than just plain and simple greed. That's what I think it comes down to. Just plain and simple greed, man. And that really bums me out because greed is now potentially going to destroy the 3-for-3 wonderful home run record that Spider-Man has been having over the past two years. Greed is potentially going to put a wedge between that and say nope and potentially destroy that. And I say potentially because like I stated earlier... This doesn't mean Spider-Man movies are going to be garbage from now on. It doesn't mean if Sony takes Spider-Man away, it doesn't mean they're going to make, you know, Homecoming 3 or whatever it's called and it's going to be a garbage movie. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you ha- what you have right now is perfect. What could possibly, like, where is there left to go but down? Especially since, more than anything, I'm frustrated that if this relationship splits apart... According to what I have read, Sony would not be allowed to use or reference the Vulture and Mysterio and anything that was tied into the MCU. So if you can't reference Mysterio, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like it means you can't reference what happened at the end of Far From Home. You can't reference him giving away Spider-Man's identity, which means you can't reference J. Jonah Jameson appearing finally finally in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and spouting out this Spider-Man's a menace tirade and turning the whole world against him, which means that amazing ending of that amazing movie is all erased. That That's what it sounds like to me. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's not the case. But that's what it sounds like. This amazing turning point where all of a sudden it's like, oh no, you don't have the happy ending. Spider-Man's going to be in a bad place in Phase 4. Suddenly it seems like that's going to be entirely nipped in the bud. And it's like, no, no, never mind. We'll just we'll just start the movie where he's just swinging through buildings again. And oh, now he'll fight the scorpion. The end. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen, guys. But there's a possibility now. There is a possibility that that could happen. That that horrible, boring outcome could happen. Whereas before, that was never a fear. Because before we had that relationship intact and Disney and Marvel and Sony were all working on the same page and they were like, now we're going to tell this great story that overarchs through many Spider-Man movies. That was a sure thing. It was a safety net there to catch us. We knew we weren't going to get a garbage sort of blasé Spider-Man film. Now, we don't have that safety net. And I think that is what has fans like me and like others so afraid right now and so upset right now is that... Spider-Man movies have been a bumpy ride. A lot of people like the Tobey Maguire ones. A lot of people hate them. A lot of people like the Andrew Garfield ones. A lot of people hate them. Everybody seems to agree on the Tom Holland ones. Everybody. And because of that, Marvel and Sony had our trust. 
They took us by the hand. They said, trust us. We're going to take Spider-Man places he's never been before. We're going to show you things you've never seen before with this character and with his supporting cast. It's going to be great. And as a cherry on top of the Sunday, it's going to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every once in a while, he's going to meet Iron Man. Every once in a while, who knows? Maybe in movie three, we'll have him team up with Doctor Strange. That sounds like it could be fun. And we trusted that. We were we fully embraced that. We were like, oh my God, yes, thank you so much. Let's see what we can do with Spider-Man in this new world. And now that trust feels broken. Now that trust feels like just greed got in the way. Like I said, greed just stuck its ugly nose in the way and ruined a perfect thing. Frankly, right now, more than anything, all I want is a definite answer. I want a definite yes or no. Is Sony out or does the relationship remain intact? I'm tired of the conflicting reports. I'm tired of the guesswork. I'm tired of the the smoke and mirrors. I just want to know the truth. I want to know where Spider-Man is. And if he is absolutely 100% unequivocally gone from the MCU, fine. I'm not going to boycott the next movie. I'm not going to hate on it before I see it. However, I am going to go in there with no sense of trust. I'm going to go in there a blank slate the way I did when I walked into the first Sam Raimi or when I walked into the first Andrew Garfield movie. I'm just going to go in there with no trust and no expectations and and probably not see it opening day and probably just kind of wait, bide my time and be like, okay, you better not disappoint me. But you know what? That's kind of a bummer. It's kind of a bummer to think about that. So let's think about some good things instead. Let's talk about some stuff that really got us excited. Well, I can't speak for all of you. I'm not some kind of warlock. I don't know what you're thinking right now, but I can speak for me. I can tell you what got me excited. And you know what got me excited, baby? Three words. D23. Is D a word? I don't know. Somebody look that up and tell me. This year it was kind of overwhelming because D23 coincided with Toronto Fan Expo, which up here is pretty much our equivalent of San Diego Comic-Con. It's our biggest convention, I think, in Canada. Toronto Fan Expo is huge. Like, you can't walk because there are so many bodies around you. Huge. It draws a crowd every year, and every year that crowd gets bigger. So I went to Fan Expo with James Rizile on one of the days. Uh, we did some some media coverage for Rebel Scum Podcast, and it was all fun stuff. But throughout all of that, D23 was happening. So I was trying to keep on top of the D23 announcements. It was just like back in July when we had Comic-Con and that Hall H Marvel panel happened the day of my cousin's wedding. The night of my cousin's wedding, I should say. So I'm on this dance floor in like my suit and tie dancing with my phone in one hand, looking at my phone and being like, oh, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, everybody, look, Doctor Strange 2 is coming out and like everybody's dancing to like Camilla Cabello or something and nobody cares what I have to say. So it was that. It was another like double whammy of of stuff happening. But I managed to keep on top of all the D23 news that interested me, which was mainly the Marvel and Star Wars stuff. But there was some great Disney stuff as well. Of course, Pixar got some love and the animation studios got some love. We got to see a little bit of a new trailer slash footage for Onward, Pixar's Onward, which looks pretty exciting. They also have another movie coming out next year called Soul. This is the first time I want to say ever in the history of the universe that Pixar has come out with two movies in one year, maybe? I feel like I might be wrong, but it's, it's definitely not happened very often, and this uh, they're actually very close together. I think one is in March, 
and one is in June. Onward is coming out first, and it's this beautiful little fairy tale kind of thing. Like, Pixar is so good at creating new worlds. I love every time they do this. And then we got Soul coming out in June-ish, I believe. It looks like its own thing, and it's kind of tied into, like, the jazz movement of the 20s, I think, from what I saw. Like, there's definitely, like, a jazz music vibe to Soul, which I like. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Pixar can do no wrong when it comes to new IPs for the most part. I'm sorry, Good Dinosaur. You were very boring. But other than that, uh, yeah, Pixar's record is pretty spotless. Uh, But Disney uh, is not forgetting their animation studios too, which is nice because they don't make those movies as much anymore, unfortunately. Uh, I've gone on record many times to say that this year, Frozen 2, I could not be more hyped for Frozen 2. It looks amazing. I'm going to put money down right now. It will be the best Disney sequel ever made. Not Pixar sequel, because guys, I'm sorry, Toy Story 3 is the untouchable king of kings so far. But the best Disney animated sequel ever is going to be Frozen 2. You just, I mean, the bar is kind of low. I think right now, Return of Jafar is the current champion, so it's not going to be that hard to beat. But we are getting next year, uh, I think November 2020, we're getting Raya and the Last Dragon which uh, is this new animated feature. It's got uh, like this Asian mythology to it. It looks really cool. It's like a fairy tale again. So they're sticking with their fairy tale things as much as I loved, you know, Zootopia. And I enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, There's just something about a good Disney animated fairy tale that gets my motor running in a totally not creepy way, I promise. So this Ray and the Last Dragon thing has me very excited. They didn't show much. They showed a logo. Uh, the logo is beautiful. Whoever makes the logos at Disney needs to win some kind of award because they their logos are always outstandingly cool and bi- vibrant and colorful and just like they make you excited for the movie and it's literally just some text on a screen. But then as D23 wore on, we got a few more logos, didn't we? We got three more logos, to be precise, that we hadn't seen before for three new Brand spanking new Disney Plus Marvel shows. Those shows are Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk. Now, like I said, all of these are Disney Plus shows. They are all going to be streaming at one point or another on Disney Plus. So add those to the announcements we got at San Diego Comic-Con, and you have a grand total of eight Disney Plus shows set within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's a lot of content, man. Holy crap, that's a lot of content. And I'm excited, but I'm also a little bit hesitant. And I'll tell you why. I am—I have nothing but excitement for all these shows. I'm going to watch them all. I will watch them all and I will enjoy them. And I will be grateful to have the opportunity to be you know, lucky enough to afford Disney Plus so I can watch them. I'm grateful for all of that. But my trepidation comes from the fact that we now have more announcements for Marvel shows than we do for Marvel movies. And that makes me worry only because I'm afraid that... Look, let me just put it bluntly. Streaming is taking over the world. It is. Netflix changed the world now to the point where yesterday I was trying to remember when's the last time I watched a TV show that wasn't on some kind of premium network. When's the last time I watched a TV show that wasn't HBO or Netflix? 
And the farthest back I could think was like 2011 when Person of Interest started. Person of Interest was a great show. I loved that show. And that's the last show that I ever watched on normal cable television. Because frankly, television is a breeding ground for garbage now. Like there is, I can't think of a single show that's on regular TV that I would want to watch. I can't think of a single show that's on regular TV that people I know would like to watch. There's nothing there. It is an, a no man's land, like like World War I, of just content that nobody cares about. And if, if you have something on there, if you have something that you love on regular TV, I'm happy for you. I honestly am. I'm happy that you found something there. Because I don't like to see mediums die. I was, I'm, I'm still bummed that the internet killed magazines. I am, because I used to like magazines. I used to subscribe to Disney Adventures as a little kid. And I'll tell you what, once a month when Disney Adventures showed up in the mailbox, it was like Christmas. It was like Christmas every month. And I'm sad that the internet took that away, that that's not a thing anymore, that nobody subscribes to magazines anymore. So the idea that now internet again, the streaming services, which you need internet for, could potentially kill TV, that makes me sad. I don't want them to kill TV. I want TV to flourish. I want there to be great things that you can only watch on normal television. So I'm happy if you still watch normal TV. I'm happy if you still have a cable subscription and you still watch shows that aren't premium HBO or premium Netflix or Amazon Prime or or CBS All Access or whatever the hell there is now. If you just watch, if if you just like to watch Giada at home on the cooking channel, I'm I'm happy. And I'm I'm right there with you because you know what? Giada De Laurentiis is a beautiful lady and uh, she can call me up anytime she wants. I'm single. She's single, Giada. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen, girl. We'll cook together. We'll we'll run away to paradise together. We'll 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 spend all our days cooking and whining and dining each other. It'll be great. I love you, Giada. Alright, back on track. Back on track. So with Marvel coming out with a bajillion Disney Plus shows, and with Star Wars starting to roll out more and more Disney Plus shows, I'm just worried that this will kill the medium of film. And I, I know that's an unfounded worry. I know it's it's kind of irrational at the end of the day. Nothing's going to kill film yet. But I'm worried because this is Disney. This These guys are the kings of film right now. So if they start to become too enamored with their success streaming, I'm worried that it'll take away from the effort they put into movies and will get an imbalance. That's all that scares me. And I just hope that's not the case. I hope I'm just, you know... Uh, crazy fool who's just too old-fashioned but uh i i really hope that that doesn't end up happening but i'm still excited for these shows okay i'm still excited for miss marvel i i know absolutely nothing about the canon of miss marvel i don't know any i I think she's she's like a teenager and she's captain marvel's sidekick and then one day captain marvel's like hey you're you're all right you can you can go on your own now and do your own thing and then she's like oh thanks captain and then the two of them part ways but then they team up every once in a while i i honestly i legit do not know what miss marvel's deal is but i'm happy that it exists and what has me even more excited for its own existence is moon knight i have heard so many great things about moon knight again i don't really know the deal with this dude's canon okay i think he is like i think he's like a jewish ninja or something like that he's like batman but he's got like a foul mouth and he's a ninja and, and he fights people um and he's a jewish guy uh, like, that's literally all I know about this character. I don't even know what his real name is. But 
that all sounds cool to me. I can't wait to see what this Moon Knight guy is all about. I've heard nothing but great things about his comics. I've heard nothing but great things about his character. So it'll be really cool to see what kind of show this is. From what I've heard, it sounds like he's kind of a daredevil-y kind of guy. Like he's really like a gritty street-level dude. So I'm curious what that's going to look like now. Because we've never seen Daredevil. Remember, we never saw Daredevil or Jessica Jones or any of those people tied in with the MCU. We never saw them meet, you know, Loki. So what's going to happen if Moon Knight is more integrated than they are? How's that going to feel? But the final one had me most excited of all. Because guys, I love, I love, love, love the Hulk. And I love, love, love She-Hulk. Like, remember, as a little kid, I didn't read comics much. Okay, I didn't read comics a whole lot. But every once in a while, I would stick my nose in one and see what the fuss was all about. And I just remember that She-Hulk, as a little kid, I was like, She-Hulk is the hottest lady in comics. I don't know, something about her, the way she was drawn, I had a crush on She-Hulk as a kid. I love the idea of She-Hulk. It's so crazy. It's such a crazy Marvel character. I mean, you can't even say the name without grinning. She-Hulk. Like, it's hilarious. I can't wait to see what they do with this man. Like, is she going to be related to Bruce Banner? Because I think in the comics they're cousins or something. What I think, and I think she's a lawyer, and she gets gamma irradiated somehow. Whatever the deal is with She-Hulk, I just can't wait to see how they do it. I have no idea who they're going to cast. I mean, I can think of you know twenty, thirty actresses that I have a crush on that I would love to see play She-Hulk. Lacey Chabert. I'm looking in your direction, honey. Hell, maybe they'll get Giada Del Rantis to play She-Hulk. <laughs> then I'll just be, I'll, like, I won't leave my house. As soon as that show starts streaming, you won't see me. I won't be recording podcasts. I will I will just be huddled up in a blanket, um, making homemade rigatoni, and watching Giada Del Rantis turn green and throw cars at people. Yes, please. <laughs> but because She-Hulk was a character that I always kind of, you know, she, her and I go back. Like, I remember her from when I was small. I always was thinking, you know, throughout all of the MCU, I would always kind of think every once in a while, like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if She-Hulk shows up? But it was always a joke in my head. Like, I was like, there's no way in hell She-Hulk is going to be in. Like, there's no way. They, yes, they got us to take Hulk seriously. Yes, they got us to take, like, Guardians of the Galaxy seriously, where all these wacky things, they, they managed to make it work. But I was like, She-Hulk just sounds silly to say out loud. I was like, I don't think... I, like, I'm, I must be the only person in the world who likes this character. There's no way they're going to do it. And lo and behold, they did it. I'm more excited for She-Hulk than I am for any Marvel Disney Plus show. I'm putting that out right now. More than Loki. More than Falcon and Winter Soldier. More than WandaVision. More than Hawkeye. More than What If. Definitely more than What If. I think What If is, like, at the bottom for me. But yeah, 100% baby. She-Hulk I am more excited for than any other Marvel show I don't know when it's coming out. I feel like it's like three years, but I'll, I'll wait. I'm fine waiting. That's fine. Then, of course, D23 gave us the wonderful, wonderful trailer for The Mandalorian, as well as a little bit of a micro trailer for The Rise of Skywalker. Now, we covered this Rise of Skywalker coverage on Rebel Scum Podcast, and we will be covering The Mandalorian trailer in detail on Rebel Scum Podcast as well. So I'm not going to dive too far into it here. If you want to hear my thoughts, you'll hear them eventually on the other show. But needless to say, The Mandalorian looks great. Rise of Skywalker looks absolutely beautiful. I have never seen a movie in recent memory that just looks 
just just the way the camera and the characters and the colors appear on screen nothing i have seen in recent memory looks as beautiful as the rise of skywalker there's just something super crisp about it about the colors that everybody wears everything just pops the colors just seem so vibrant it feels like every image is in 3d even though it isn't i, I don't know it's weird to describe just something about the colors and that really pop it looks absolutely gorgeous. Mandalorian is the opposite of colorful. It is very gray and bleak because that's the kind of show that I'm pretty sure they want to give us. And that's fine as long as it's, you know, visible, <laughs> unlike Solo. I'm still very, very excited for Mandalorian. I'm still very, very excited for Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan was the big capstone announcement at D23, guys. It's official. Obi-Wan Kenobi is getting his own Disney Plus show. Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've got a, a show on Disney Plus now. It'll be ten episodes of me uh, fighting a demogorgon in the Upside Down, and then I'll emerge from that and, and go to a shopping mall and possibly purchase some new clothes and we'll have a montage. It'll be all, all kinds of fun. I can't wait for you to see it. There's a crossover with my character who I played in the bridge on the River Kwai. We're adding that into the Star Wars universe now, so... That'll be exciting, to be sure. That's an actual excerpt from what we heard at D23. Maybe. Maybe. I might be lying. Really happy to hear this news. Really happy to see that Star Wars is, you know, gonna have these shows now. Again, I am trepidatious too because we don't know what a live-action Star Wars show is going to look like and feel like. We just don't know yet. In the same way that when Rogue One was coming out, yeah, we saw trailers and posters and whatnot, and it looked great, but we didn't know. We were like, it was alien. It was like, we don't know what a non-episodic Star Wars film is going to look like yet, because we haven't seen that. Then Rogue One came out and showed us, hey, yeah, it can be done, and it can be done really well. Look look how good this is. So it's the same kind of deal. I'm sure Mandalorian is going to be amazing. I'm sure it's going to blow people away, but... As it stands, we just don't know what it looks like yet, so it's hard for me to get as excited for it as I am for The Rise of Skywalker. I'm I'm more excited for the unknown, unnamed, completely mysterious 2022 Star Wars movie that they announced earlier this year than I am for Mandalorian, because I I kind of know what that will feel like. I don't know what Mandalorian will feel like yet. But I'm still very, very interested in seeing it. And I still can't wait to dive into that world. And more than anything else, more than anything else, guys, I can't stress this enough. I am so happy that The Mandalorian is going to be released on a week-by-week basis. Here's the thing, guys. I love what I do. I love podcasting with all of you. I love going on YouTube and, and, and reviewing things and stuff like that. It's, it's fun. I love doing it. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. Sometimes when new shows come out, when big shows come out, when shows like Daredevil and Stranger Things come out, I love watching them. But in the back of my head, I know I need to review this as fast as possible before people lose interest. So if I want to review Stranger Things Season 3... I need to binge the hell out of Stranger Things Season 3. And that is not easy. That is 10 hours. When you have other work and other things and life and stuff, finding 10 hours can be hard to do, especially if you're trying to review the show 
over the weekend because these shows always drop on Fridays. If you're trying to binge it all over the weekend so you can have the review up by Monday night, that is an exhausting, taxing process. I love Stranger Things to pieces, but by the end of that weekend, guys, I was ready to pull my hair out if I heard those kids screaming and yelling about Demogorgons one more time. I was like, oh my God, I need to like step away from this. I've just spent 10 straight hours listening to people talk about Starcourt Mall and fighting the Russians. And I was just like, oh God, I need some fresh air. I, I need to go out and see something different. So it was so calming and soothing to me to hear the news that Mandalorian will not be dropping all 10 episodes at once. It will be doing it on a week-by-week basis. That is so helpful and, in my opinion, so much more fun because I think back to shows like Lost, my favorite TV show ever made. Lost was a mystery. It was almost like an like an interactive game that we were all playing because we were all talking about it and spouting theories and speculations. And when an episode ended, we spent that whole week standing around the water cooler calling our friends and saying hey you know what i noticed this one thing that Locke said in the last episode and if you think about it in his flashback from season one it crisscrossed with this and that and that and all of a sudden you turn into uh you know some kind of crazy person who's got a a punch board up on your wall with yarn connecting a bunch of little different post-it notes i love that i love when a show can make me do that and as much as i adore stranger things and as much as i adore daredevil I didn't do that because you watched it all at once and then it was over in the blink of an eye. And because of that, it all blurs together. I'm not a huge fan of that. So the idea that I'm going to get to sit down, watch one hour of The Mandalorian, marinate in what I just saw, review that one episode, take my time because I don't have to sit and watch 10 hours worth of stuff. I can just watch it, come up with ideas, make a review, next week, rinse, Repeat, And in the meantime, in that week, I can talk to people. I can theorize. I can hop on YouTube and and jump in the comments section with all of you listening and be like, Hey guys, what do you think of this? Wasn't it cool when, when Gina Carano's character said that? What do you think the Mandalorian meant when he talked about a person from his past? Do you think he might be talking about Ahsoka Tano? I don't know. Like there's so many questions that we can, we can play with. We can have that fun. We can have the kind of fun we're having right now. In between Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, we can have that speculative theorizing fun. We can't do that if they just dump all ten Legos in our lap and say, there you go, build a Death Star now. I don't think any announcement this year, other than the first Rise of Skywalker trailer, I don't think any announcement this year has made me happier and just more overcome with joy than the idea that they will be parsing out these Disney Plus shows week by week. And I hope that means the same for Marvel, too. I hope the Marvel shows go week by week. Because you know what that means, guys. Think about it. We're getting at least, that we know of, that we know of, we are getting three Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus. We're getting Mandalorian, we're getting Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we're getting Cassian Andor. There are three years between The Rise of Skywalker and whatever that next big Star Wars movie is going to be. Because that comes out in 2022. So we have three years. In that three-year time, how are we going to spend it? How are we going to get our Star Wars fix? I'll tell you how. With Disney Plus shows. And if they just dumped all the episodes in our lap this November and that was it, we would binge it. It would become a blur. We would enjoy it, but then that would be it. And we'd be like, okay, what's next? But the fact that they're staggering it out means Mandalorian will last us ten weeks. Okay? 
10 weeks. Cassian Andor will last us 10 weeks. Obi-Wan Kenobi, 10 weeks. They're already filming uh, Mandalorian Season 2, apparently. Like, they're already buckling down and getting that started. So that's another season, let's say another 10 weeks. You know what that is? There's some math I can do. And I'll tell you what the sum of that is. The sum of that math is 40 weeks of new Star Wars content coming out. 40 weeks. Not necessarily all at once, but 40 weeks where in every one of those weeks we are getting a new episode of a live action Star Wars. There's 52 weeks in a year. And there's three years till the new movie. 52 times 3, 156. We have 156 weeks to wait until the new Star Wars. That's a long time, guys. But guess what? 156 minus 40? 116. A much smaller number. We took away 40 because guess what? Those were 40 weeks where we were getting Star Wars content. So already the wait is going to feel shorter. It's not going to feel like a three-year drought. A three-year drought where we had no stormtroopers and no lightsabers and no talking about the force it's not going to be a drought because guess what we got at least 40 weeks of star wars content in that interim and i'm sure i am sure that by the time that next movie comes out by the time the 2022 movie comes out there will have already been at least one new show that we don't know about yet one new star wars show that disney plus will give us you can almost count on that If it weren't for these Disney Plus shows staggering themselves out, that three-year wait would be, for me, really, really hard. It would be downright excruciating. I can't wait to experience Star Wars week after week after week because it'll get to a point where before I know it, I look up and I'm like, oh my god, it's December 2022. I am 57 years old and there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. Now, we still have a few months to go before Rise of Skywalker is here. It seems like it's just around the corner, but uh, there's some months standing in our way. One of those months being October. And in the month of October, I always get into the Halloween spirit, and um, I get excited for scary movies and stuff like that. And I think the go-to scary movie of this October is going to be the Joker movie. Now, I am not a huge fan of the character of the Joker. I think he's very, very overrated and very, very overused. However, this Joker movie is getting not just positive buzz, but Oscar buzz, too. Everyone who's seen it seems to agree that this is going to be a contender for Best Actor and Best Picture. Even though I'm not a big Joker fan, I'm really excited to see this movie, and I'll tell you why. My favorite Batman character, okay, my favorite Batman character is Gotham City. I love the idea of this massive, massive city that doesn't really exist in our world, so it could really have anything in it. I mean, like, in the Joel Schumacher movies, you can poo-poo them all you want, and I'd, I'd be right there with you, but there's that one scene in Batman and Robin where they there's a, a huge statue, like a giant statue of a person in the middle of Gotham City just between two skyscrapers. And that, to me represents everything Gotham could be. Gotham could be this otherworldly place where you see things you don't normally see because it's an exaggeration of real life. It's not New York or Boston or Toronto. It's it's not like a place you can go to in real life. It, it, it's Gotham, baby. It's it, it fascinates me. First time I ever played Batman Arkham Asylum on, the, on Xbox 360, 
there was a point where I could go up to a, a roof of a building. If you ever played those games, you know kind of how it works. But uh, there's a, a certain building in Arkham Asylum where I could go up to the roof, and if I looked out in a certain direction, I could look out across the bay, and I could see the entire skyline of Gotham City. And it was so big that I had to, you know, it, my widescreen TV couldn't fit at all, and I had to move the camera a couple times in order to see it from left to right. And that was a ma- that was one of the most magical moments I've ever had playing video games, is getting to see Gotham City like that and, and, and just stopping and admiring the skyline. Because there's something about the skyline of a big, beautiful city that doesn't really exist that you could really do anything you want with. There's just something magical about that. As a storyteller myself, I love making up cities because I love having that freedom. I love having like my character be like, okay, he's not going to go to Empire State Building. He's going to go to the Magrathura Building, which is a building that has a giant uh, globe on top. Uh, and then the globe it has angel wings on it, like a golden snitch. Like it could be anything. I, I love that amount of creative freedom that Gotham represents. So Gotham City, I'm obsessed with. Another thing I'm obsessed with is the aesthetic of the 1980s. I love the look of movies set in the 80s. I love the 80s in general. I think there's there's just something really captivating about the way the 80s looks. And guess what, guys? The Joker movie is set in Gotham City in the 1980s. So I'm going to be kind of like a kid in a candy store that whole time. I don't even care what's going to happen with Joker. I'm sure he'll be great. I'm sure Joaquin Phoenix is going to knock it out of the park because... He's a great actor, and he it just what, what we've seen so far, he is bringing this character to all kinds of life. But for me, when I park my, my little tushy in that movie theater, I'm just going to be staring at the Gotham skyline and at the boxy 80s cars and the, the graffiti style of it all and the film noir style of it all and just the way they made that city look. I am going to be in absolute heaven visiting 80s era Gotham City. It is two great tastes that taste great together. It's peanut butter and chocolate. It's lamb and tuna fish. It's spaghetti and milk. And I can't friggin' wait for that. So Joker, you can get all the Oscar buzz you want. As far as I'm concerned, you already won the award for best setting. (laughs) So there you go. That's a new award. I just made it up right now. But it's just as legit as the Best Picture Award. Even more so because it came from the heart. And now it's time for With All Due Retrospect, this is the part of the show where I am going to take a retrospective look back at a movie that I uh, rewatched that I haven't watched in many, many a year. And we're going to talk about it a little bit and talk about uh, how it holds up or how it doesn't hold up. In the last few episodes, I was talking about the Rambo films because I've been trying to rewatch all the Rambos to get myself in the right kind of excitement for Rambo 5, Last Blood. And I'm still excited for that. But this week, I took a week off from Rambo. Because I wanted to rewatch The Dark Crystal. And we all know why. We, if, if you saw on my, on my channel, the Andrew Fantasia YouTube channel, uh, I have a review up right now of The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. An amazing Netflix show that I absolutely loved. But it would have been nice if I didn't have to watch all 10 hours of it at once. But regardless, because that's a prequel series, once I was done watching the show, I went back and I watched The Dark Crystal movie, which is also on Netflix, thankfully. I remember being sort of meh about it first time I watched it. I didn't hate it, and I didn't love it. I just I, I just remember little parts of it 
um, little snippets. I saw it for the first time like 10 years ago and that was it. So when I watched it again, I was like, okay, I'm remembering all of this now. It's all coming back to me. I was very annoyed the first time I saw it by the Skeksis. Uh, they were always yelling and screaming and wailing and the Chamberlain was always doing his thing where he's like, mm. you know, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't really do it here. Uh, you know who does a pretty damn good impression of that Chamberlain is Mr. Simon Pegg, which is why they cast him in Age of Resistance. He is a spot-on good Chamberlain. But I love puppets, and I love, obviously, Jim Henson as the king of puppets. Like, anything the Henson Workshop puts out is is second to none. And the puppets in The Dark Crystal were beautiful. They were absolutely beautiful. The thing I took away from the movie, watching it again, was it somehow managed to be very quick and very slow all at once. It's an extraordinarily slow-paced movie. I mean, just the mystics alone, the way they walk, they're like the whole movie, they're just walking slowly towards the Crystal Castle. Uh, and it, it puts you in a, a dreamlike state. It really does, because it's, it's slow, but it's, it's beautiful, and it, it moves in an almost fluid, meditative way. It almost puts you to sleep, but not in a way that, like, I'm not saying it's boring. It puts you to sleep in a soothing way, and you, you enter this sort of halfway world between waking and dreaming where you'll see the images on the screen and be like oh did I just imagine that did I just imagine that there was a giant frog or is that part of the movie it has that wonderful quality that wonderful presence to it that I can't quite describe in words but it's there and if you've seen the movie you know what I talk about but it's also quick because it is a very 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 short movie the movie is about 90 minutes on the dot which goes by in just the blink of an eye especially because lately you know movies are starting to get nice and long and chunky again, which I like. I I adore long movies, and if Star Wars Episode Nine ends up being uh, you know as long as I want it to be, I might cry with happiness. But the Dark Crystal is over seemingly in the blink of an eye, even though it goes by slowly. It's a, it's a strange. I can't think of any other movie that has that quality to it, and I'm not saying it as a negative or really a positive. It's just this intriguing little bit of trivia about the film that I think makes it stand out. If you haven't seen The Dark Crystal in a while, or if you haven't seen The Dark Crystal, period, I'd love for you to check it out. Like, it's on Netflix. You don't have to go out of your way to get it. You won't have to put aside much of your day. Literally only 90 minutes. And I would love to hear first-time reactions to Dark Crystal. I'd love to hear people kind of give their impressions of what they saw. Because there is something magical. There's something special and magical about that movie It doesn't pull any punches, neither does the show, come to think of it, but it really didn't pull any punches even back then as a movie for for all ages. You know, you could take any aged kid to watch Dark Crystal. It didn't pull any punches, and I can't help but admire it for that. Frankly, though, once I was done watching it, I was like, you know what? If this was a book, I think I would rather read the book, Just just of the book of this movie, because I love the puppets and the visual style of the world i love the way it looks and i love the age of resistance show with all my heart and i want to see more of that show but just that particular story the story of the movie was so small but there was so much happening behind the scenes that i was like this is the kind of thing where i want a book i want to know what's going on behind the scenes what do those hieroglyphics mean they didn't take time to read those hieroglyphics what do those mean What's that creature called? 
What does it do? What's this part of the world called? You know, can I see a map? There, there was so much I wanted to know about the Dark Crystal universe. And yeah, the show really opened up those doors for me. But if all you have is just a movie and nothing else, I think a book would be even better. But that was my takeaway of the Dark Crystal. I, I think everybody should see it once because it really is something special. But anyway, I have yapped and yapped long enough. My name is Andrew Fantasia. Once again, thank you so much for making me a part of your day today. I hope you have a great one. I'll see you all next time on That's So Wizard. Ciao for now.